Are you tired of tribalism? I think a lot of what the left supports is satanic. The only time religious freedom is invoked is in the name of bigotry and discrimination. Are you exhausted by the culture war? If they don't like it here, they can leave. You could put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. Are you suspicious of those who say Jesus endorses their political party? Is it possible to be a good Christian and also be a member of the Republican Party? And the answer is absolutely not. From certainly a biblical standpoint, Christians could not vote Democratic. We trust the lamb, not the donkey or the elephant. This is the podcast that's too liberal for conservatives and too conservative for liberals. I'm Patrick Miller. And I'm Keith Simon. And we choose truth over tribe. Do you? Do you ever feel like love and justice are two oppositional forces? As though choosing to love your neighbor also requires you to set aside your ethics and values. Or as though caring about good and evil in society means you can't care for your coworker across the hall. I think we all feel that tension, especially during an electoral season in a highly polarized, highly tribalized time. That's why we wanted to talk to Bob Goff, author of multiple books including Love Does, Everybody Always, and Undistracted. He's known inside and outside the church for one thing, love. And having met Bob, I can say that his reputation is well-deserved. Being with Bob is like an appetizer of the heavenly love we'll all enjoy with Jesus. So we wanted to take Bob Goff, the love expert, and explore a simple question with him. How do we hold love and justice together? His first book was titled Love Does, which begs a question. Does love do justice? Does love choose truth over tribe? One quick disclaimer before we hop in. This is a recording of a live Q&A we held for everyone who pre-ordered our book, Truth Over Tribe, Pledging Allegiance to the Lamb, Not the Donkey or the Elephant. So partway in, we begin to ask your questions. They're really, really good, so you won't want to miss this. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us. We're really excited to have Bob here. Bob, thanks for coming all the way out to Columbia, Missouri. Thanks a million. Wouldn't miss it. I'm just so glad to be hanging out with you guys. (laughs) I think it's going to be a fun conversation. Anything you want to add to that, Keith? Well, I really appreciate you being here, Bob. It's been fun just hanging out and talking with you a little bit. And now, because I'm talking to you, my wife probably thinks I'm big time. (laughs) Keith's finally made it. I've been a pastor of a church for a long time. time We've we've written the book. We've had the pie, all kinds of success. But when my wife heard I'm talking to Bob Gall, Oh, so thank you for lending me your credibility. I, yeah. I appreciate it. You've been I, married for how long? Just trying years to get Christine to finally happy with me. Yeah, I think that's just all together we make one really well-adjusted person, but it takes all of us. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. But we, we're excited that we were able to write this book, Truth Over Tribe, because we really believe that the church needs to recommit our loyalties to Jesus. And we've seen so much fracturing in our country, so much fracturing in the church. And that's why we've started our podcast. It's why we wrote this book, because we said, look, okay, people, you can be a Republican or a Democrat. You can be wherever you want to be. But if you're a Christian, then our loyalty to Jesus needs to be above that. And I think the church has had such a difficult time prioritizing their relationship with Jesus. Have you seen the fracturing, the breaking down of church, kind of the arguments, the tribalism? Have you encountered that? Yeah, I'm just, first of all, like, way to go. 
it's a big deal. Like people that don't write books don't know how much work goes into writing a book. <laughs> That's kind it's, of you. I told you ahead of time. I tricked Keith into this. Drops of blood and yeah, just like your was drops soul of blood. going into this. But even the title kind of begs a question that I know you guys have answered a number of times. Like, so how do you figure out what's the truth? And mm. it's not like my truth, your truth, everybody's mm-hmm. truth, like lowest common denominator. So that would be one thing to hover over. And then the definition of a tribe. Right. Um, so when you say, how does the church do it? So I go, I've had opportunity to talk to a lot of people in a lot of churches. I was actually talking to one guy that was been out of shape at the church and he said, I'm leaving the church. I'm like, you can't leave the church. You are the church. <laughs> <laughs> so when you say, how's the church doing? I would say like, I don't know which version of it because it's all mm. of us. Like I think of the church as our church, mm-hmm. O-U-R, like just it's our church. And some people do this, and some people put their hands together. Some people have their hands in their pockets. We're a pocket church. Yeah, yeah. So, but whatever <laughs> it is, but to just say what's your expression of faith and not just like position of your body, but just position of your like life. Like how do I take Matthew 25? Hungry people, thirsty people, sick people, strange people, naked people, and people in jail. And then we can talk about truth and tribes and all that. So, mm-hmm. but I would want to do it against the context. I would say, like Jesus said, you want to meet me, you got to meet them. So if somebody says, I'm getting together and my big issue is if it isn't hungry people, thirsty people, sick people, strange people, think I'm positive that Jesus hangs out there. All the rest of this stuff. I don't know if that's a place that he spends a lot of time. I know he can be like over and above everything, but I just positive he hangs out in those six areas. Hmm. Okay, so I'm the youngest guy here, and so I get to ask this question from my wizened elders here. <laughs> uh, and, and I ask this truly from, from anybody who's older than me in the faith, and I say, is right now worse than it's been in the past? I mean, you've had more experience. Is the tribalism that's happening inside of our culture, our society, is it different, or is this just a different breed of something that's existed all along? I think it's more well-televised. Mm. Oh, interesting. You know, I don't think that there's more of it. I just think there's more photographs of it Mm. and uh, snippets of it. Uh, because everybody is now a movie producer. <laughs> they get their camera out and they get 15 minutes. They they might forget what's 15 minutes before and 15 after, but yeah. it's just more well-televised. And so what it lends itself is to people collecting bits and pieces to advocate for a position that they've taken, because I like, this is my position, and that's your position. I want to win you over to mine. And I just think it's Philippians 2.20. It's Paul talking about Timothy behind his back. He said, I don't have anybody like Timothy. He takes a genuine interest in other people's lives. So I would just think that idea, if you're going to do, I don't know what version of church, capital C, small c, but you'll know we're acting in the way that Paul talked about when we take a greater interest in somebody else's thoughts and position, their tribe, uh, using this moniker than our own. Well, your book, Love Does, and then Everybody Always, I love both of those books. And I think you're known as the guy, even what you're saying now, is let's love people. Let's serve people. Let's embrace people, all kinds of people. Let's don't be discriminating in our love. Let's be generous and share it with everybody we can. But when you start getting into trying to love people, it seems like it's maybe gotten a little more complicated now because of the factionalism, the tribalism? Do you find that as the years have gone by, it's harder to get groups of Christians to love each other because they're letting things divide them? Yeah, it's certainly higher stakes. 
Because mm-hmm. if you say, and I bet you guys have or will experience that, when you take positions on things, then you'll get people that are in windowless dark rooms, <laughs> like just sending things to you. Living in their basement. Yeah, their Instagram handle is like that guy. And they've got, <laughs> they've got laser eyes and a, a weird meme as a picture. Yeah. But then to think through mm. that there's somebody that, like me, has as many issues as I do. He just has or she has different issues, right? So I, I have this fundamental belief that we're all like tremendously insecure. I am. And so we just deal with our insecurities differently. Like I deal with my insecurities by being fun. Somebody else deals with their insecurities by being mean like a rattlesnake. <laughs> are, are you on social media? I am. Yeah, I mean, more than just maybe someone doing it for you. Like, are you? No, no, genuinely... I don't have anybody. No, it's just me. And if which I've got ones are you on? To say, I... I'll say it, and if I don't, yeah. Just... Are you on Twitter or mainly yeah, yeah. Instagram or what? Yeah, like I'll take a image and throw it up and put it on Twitter and. Somehow that bleeds over into Facebook. But yeah, that's it. What I want to do is counter. I want to push back in a loving way. I want to give somebody something like a cool cup of water mm-hmm. on a long run. So you kind of picture all these people out there on social media who are getting angry or that kind of thing, and you're trying to maybe give them some hope, something bright, something I'm just going to throw something out. If somebody like kind of gets in my grill about something, I don't want to give them a lot of airtime in there. You don't argue with them. Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> I don't argue with anybody. Really? And the crazy Keith, thing should I be is, taking notes right now? I'm like, you should be. <laughs> and I'm a trial lawyer. 32 years. So that just means lawyer. you got burned out arguing? No, or no, you no. Didn't even argue I didn't mean to argue because the uh, nice people win. Uh, like, mm. s- honey would not melt in my mouth. Now, we were talking before we started, like, in my thought bubble, oh, there's all kinds of stuff <laughs> that should not be in there. So you just have a high filter. A yeah, yeah. Filter. So I just, like, there's a wisdom in hitting the pause button mm. to think through, process that. What's that saying? There's two types of people in the world. There's humble people and people who are about to be. Patrick, <laughs> <laughs> so, do you feel a little conviction? Is by, oh, deeply convicted. Is, is helping you yeah, think through your th- own That's why we're doing presence. this. This is a little therapy session. It's like an intervention, it's Bob. Helping, and I it's helping deeply. No, so that's actually an interesting question. When did you get that filter? I mean, was that your whole time as a trial? I think it's just better advocacy. Like, so huh. you could have a justice, you know, if you're uh, onto the Enneagram, like an Enneagram 8 would have like a strong justice court. I imagine that might be part of something you'd identify with. Yeah. Um, and so what I found is that just being pleasant and then having that relationship go for a really long time is better. So if somebody steps over the line and they're just say something mean spirited, then I don't think bad things about them. I just don't think about them anymore. <laughs> Cut them out. Okay, so no, I'm just not going to give it a bunch of spins. Remember yeah, the little 45s, yeah. the record? Uh-huh. They would keep track of how many spins. Like uh-huh. my spin count goes to zero. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I'm curious about the justice part because it seems like one of the ways that we love people is by pursuing justice. Yes. And I know that you do that in countries around the world. Oh my gosh, I tried death penalty cases against witch doctors. Like today, recently. Yes. Or, like that's I mean yeah. present day thing. I wrote a book about one. And at the same time a buddy of mine uh, was writing had written an excellent book about abolishing the death penalty. And he asked me to endorse it. I'm like, I read it. I agreed with the whole thing. And I was in the middle of the trial against the witch doctor who uh, sacrificed kids. And I just don't feel an internal conflict there. I agree with what he had to say. He's just a beautiful creation of God with a, like a deep set of values. I see the way that he's living his life. And I know kids are getting killed 
And so I think we can be peacemakers without feeling like we need to be just kind of wimpy about it. Okay, so we go back to the witch doctor for a second because I missed this. So you were defending the witch doctor who was on trial or you were... I tried the case. So you were the prosecutor? Yes. In what... Uganda. Continent. In Uganda? Yeah. And did you convict him? Yes. Did yeah. you seek the death penalty? Yes. How can an American is that crazy? Trial yeah, that'd be a, maybe we that'd be a longer about. discussion. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. But, but there's but there's there. something really beautiful about this idea of God loves kids. Yeah. Hmm. He just does. And then that whole idea of like, how do you love your enemy? So then I started visiting him on death row. Wow. Um, and we struck up what I wouldn't call it a friendship, but just this every time I the went witch to the doctor. country, I visited him. And then seeing the changes in his life and then finding out more of the backstory about, well, let me, didn't excuse his conduct, but I started understanding where he'd come from, what his father did and his father's father. I love that, though. You're pursuing justice, but you're not giving up on him. You're also loving him. Yeah. And then I started, <laughs> we've got several witch doctor schools. We don't teach people how to be witch doctors. They already know. <laughs> but we teach them how to read and write. And the only books they have are the Bible and Love Does, <laughs> which freaks out my judge friends because a witch, like you just don't do that. But I brought uh, somebody pretty high in uh, their governmental structure uh, to a witch doctor graduation, didn't quite tell them where we were going. And we got, these guys got more toes than teeth. And I don't actually know what that means. I'm processing it in yeah, my, yeah. my adversary. You get the visual, but like, but they're, Scary looking people. Oh, yeah. uh, they they're just uh, they have that uh, something about them. Uh, just it feels intimidating, particularly if you're in that culture. Mm. But by the end of the day, once they got to know and celebrate with them that they earned this government literacy certificate, like issued on like letterhead of Uganda and all that, so beautiful because they knew more about them than their conduct. Mm. They, so I think that idea, like people of faith, like sometimes we're spending a lot of time policing one another, and I think that would fall within some of the things that you're writing about, and I just don't think Jesus died on a cross so we'd behave better. So let me bring this into our present American context for a second, and let's see if I'm understanding this. Love does justice. Yes. That's a true statement. And so I can pursue justice in political arenas. I can pursue justice through protests. I can pursue justice in a lot of different ways. You know, we all have a different way they're going to do it. And your point is, yes, love should go pursue that justice. But, 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 but love also requires you to love your enemy, to show them grace and mercy. Yeah. And it's easier to say that. It sounds like the kind of thing you'd find stitched on a pillow at a Christian bookstore. <laughs> what I want to do is to say, how can we take an interest in them so that our interest then starts informing the context within which we understand. Doesn't mm. change the truth part about it, but all of a sudden I know something about that. I've always thought if somebody doesn't know my name, doesn't know Sweet Maria's name, doesn't know our kids, like if they could have an opinion about me, like it just doesn't matter that you don't know me. Yeah. Right. And so what I've opted to do for, and it's a form of advocacy, is just not get into all the scrapes about that, whatever the flavor of the day is. Not that they're unimportant, they're just unimportant to me. Somebody, I, and it doesn't happen often, but somebody got my grill about something, and I just said, let's just take Yemen. Like, how many kids have died this year? 
And they said, well, I, I don't know. That it wasn't like trying to stump the stars. That's just the number one thing for me right now. Mm. And they had a different number one thing. So I don't think less of them because that's not their number one. And perhaps they shouldn't think less of me, but I don't care because I'm not tied into their number one. And I think if we took a genuine interest, mm. tell me what you know about that. Like, what are you learning? What are you learning along the way? Not like making people a project, because God makes people, and people make issues, but people aren't issues. People are people. And sometimes we invert that, and we make it all about the issue. And I go like, I want to know, do you have a puppy? Yeah. yeah. You know, you do them as people. <laughs> yeah. And not just what they their beliefs or what their yeah. social media presence like, is like. I don't know. Give a rip. So you do other things than prosecute witch doctors. I think you're also very involved in setting up education for kids. You're involved in rescuing young girls from brothels and, and maybe even more things that I don't know about. And how did you get into that? Like, what's the story behind where that became something that you didn't just read about and maybe say a prayer about? But you thought, no, I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to start spending my time, my resources, my life working for justice. Yeah, I was a trial lawyer at the time. I was living in San Diego. I was working in Seattle and bouncing back and forth. And then we had these little kids that showed up at our uh, stork didn't drop them off. Maria had them and then <laughs> like grew up. And they want, could talk uh, like uh, they were at first we were just trying to keep them mostly clothed and yeah. then they could talk. And so I wanted to like be with them. So I'm one of 25 partners at this law firm. And I told the guys in the law firm that I'm going to take the next three months and just spend it with my family. <laughs> And they looked at me like I had yellow galoshes on and a hat. And they were like, uh, our sabbatical program, every like 15 years, we give you nine minutes off. <laughs> so I didn't argue with them. I left. Uh, on Monday, I was gone. You just walked out? <laughs> I came back three months later. Oh, they were ticked. But I'm like, <laughs> sue me. <laughs> so what I did, it, so this was the beginning of this adventure. And then along the way, I just started saying, what if I bring my kids with me to experience some of the injustices in the world so that they don't just grow up in this affluence, but that they could actually be there. Cause I was curious too. And then yeah. I started seeing what was happening to kids that were my kid's age mm -hmm. and it just wrecked my career. So uh, has seeing your kids changed your heart for oh kids gosh, all around yeah. the world? Yeah, it would be all about them just seeing it together and understanding it and just saying like, well, not fully understanding, but just saying, I could get some skin in the game. So while I still had a day job, I had made my own law firm by that time. I was going back and forth elsewhere. <laughs> I remember the day I quit, I walked out of the 18th floor of this bank building in downtown Seattle, and the receptionist said, who are you here to see? <laughs> I'm like, that's actually my name right behind you. <laughs> I had not been in my office for almost a year. Were you still getting paid? No, it was my law firm. But so it was like, yeah, but what I realized is that my heart had changed. Mm. So I uh, got everybody together in the biggest room we had and I quit. <laughs> Again, I, I took my key off my ring. I gave it to this guy that had been working for me for a decade or two. And I just said, it's all yours, man. Yeah. You don't owe me anything. And when I went home that night, Maria said, how was work? <laughs> I said, work? She's like, no. I'm like, yes. And I think that idea, instead of like... Uh, treating justice like a hobby farm, mm -hmm. like what if we trade it like a working ranch? And so then we started mm -hmm. finding ways, and I don't want to make it sound like it's this big thing because I aired early on in that. I, we started something in Uganda, and then I 
uh, we had like probably nine kids in the school. And I said, like changing a generation of Ugandans, there's 42 million. You got to do the math. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and probably eight of the nine didn't want to be there. But what happened is that once you start, the flywheel starts spinning. So I would say for people listening in, just where you have an opportunity, keep your head on a swivel. And so yeah. I think we've started our 15th country. We have about three or four schools in each. And most so, of them are in Africa or no? Well, so we have schools in prisons and other places in Uganda. Okay. We've got four schools in Mogadishu, Somalia. We started a school in a hospital in Iraq. I've got a girls' school in Afghanistan. We're building a school in Burkina Faso. We have three in Congo. So it's just like where there's a lot of in Africa, and there's proverb like when the elephants fight, you know, the grass dies. And that's the uh, kids, mm -hmm. a yeah. whole generation of that's kids. Sad. And so, so to the credit of all these amazing countries, it isn't me that's there, it's them. So there's these Somali teachers that just love Somali kids and Ugandan teachers and Afghan teachers that are doing some pretty cool. We've got an office in Uzbekistan over the border mm -hmm. when things got crazy. So what I'm thinking of is instead of going across the ocean to do some of this stuff, yeah. what if you go across the street? Yes. Right? Because a lot of people want to talk about doing that, but the only thing you'll find in the scriptures about going across an ocean, Paul got shipwrecked and Jonah, <laughs> you know how that turned out. So what I want to do is go across the street, make it happen right here, yes. see the injustices in our own lives, in our own communities, in our own country. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of people doing it right here. So I think we're going to switch to the Q&A here in just a second. But before we do, I just want to affirm exactly what you're saying. It's something we talk a lot about. As we say, the kingdom of God does have a politic, but the politic is what you're describing right now. It's not about getting fixated on the federal horse race and what's happening in Washington. It's about looking across the street at your neighbor who's in need and loving them. And so when I talk to people who are really jazzed up about political issues, one of my first questions is often, well, what are you doing to fix that or to solve that or to address that in your own community? And what I find is that political hobbyism is there's an inverse relationship between that and actually engaging in your community, giving, serving, volunteering your time to help people in need. And so I love what you're saying. And I think it's a great challenge for us if we want to live inside of that politics. So I think we're going to pop a question up on here. All right, here's our first question. This one's from Amy. Here we go. What if you just don't care about politics, even though you know you should or you're supposed to? Is that wrong? Can you be someone who is educated, a regular voter, petition signer, who just doesn't want to know all the drama of politics? Yeah, I think my first reaction to that, Amy, is great spelling. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what I want to do is you feel like people have this expectation that what we're going to do is that we're going to be involved in everything. And if that doesn't blow your hair back, if God hasn't put that in your heart to connect with, you go yeah. like, I don't think now, if you say like, hey, you know, poor people just aren't my thing, then I think just like it would be worth revisiting at some point. But if politics doesn't light you up, then I would say, is it a distraction to you? Because this whole idea that whether mm. you see Satan around every corner, but darkness doesn't want to destroy you, it wants to distract you. And so if it's a distraction, you find yourself just thinking about that constantly. And words like should or supposed to, which you put in quotes, great job, Amy, that's an indicator 
that there's some other mm. stuff going on. Somebody's pulling the string. You're Pinocchio and you don't have all the strings, somebody else. And so what I want us to do is figure out what's that connected to. So that's just such a great inward journey to say, why does that mean nothing to me or mean everything to me? If we could find out what is that connected to. Okay, so can I agree with you and then just maybe ask a follow-up question to that? First, I agree that Jesus's kingdom isn't going to come through a Republican or a Democratic president, right? There's no presidential person out there, no political party that's going to bring God's kingdom of love, justice, and mercy here. Only King Jesus can do that. On the other hand, to push back just a little bit to how you process this, is that to some extent, working for justice for maybe the unborn or justice for the poor or justice for girls who are in brothels or whatever, sometimes that requires being involved in government. Sometimes that requires putting in policies that help people and give people opportunities. So I would love it if loving people could stay separate from the politics, kind of like what Amy's saying, wouldn't it be great? But sometimes the way we love people is through having a just politic, do you think? Yeah, yeah. So I, does sometimes I thought that call us into that The arena? word that came to mind, the mental picture, was scaffolding. Hmm. So if you have those infrastructures, if it provides a scaffolding for other people to do beautiful things, to get a little higher up, to reach some places that weren't accessible, then if politics brings you in that direction, then mazel tov. Like, that's awesome. Right. Go do lots of that. Have you been involved in politics before Heck in no. your life? Never. 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 I've been involved in doing some stuff we won't be talking about, but the but doing things to encourage people to get together mm. and just be nice. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, so we'll facilitate some stuff so that people will get, people that are at each other can just get to know each other. Yeah. So, uh, and th those kinds of things, yes, but something where you would be the poster person of whatever position. You don't want any office. You're not going to hold No, that would be a distraction for me. Right, right. It wouldn't be a distraction, evidently, for the other people. For other people. And if it is a distraction, then I would rethink it. But I love how you're bringing people together because we've been talking that when people don't know each other, and more and more we're living in kind of bubbles where you don't know people who think differently than you or who vote differently than you. And when you don't know people, it's easy to demonize, believe horrible things about them. But when you get to know them, you realize they care about their family. They want the same kinds of things in their life. And you realize, okay, I can build a bridge here instead of putting up a wall. Or think about this. Have you ever taken your untucked shirt mm -hmm. and about four in the afternoon, you realize you're a button off? Your <laughs> 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 collar's been wonky all day long. I think some of the people that are a button or two off in their view of world and life and compassion, morality, and all that, uh, those actually have been the most influential people to me because it drives me back to understanding why do I believe what I believe? Mm. And that's what I would hope for people. They would say, understand, why do I believe what I believe? That might then be the launching pad in to say, I'm running for office mm. because I can shape that. I really have this thing. But if you don't understand what you believe and why, then you're just like knocked around. There's some metaphors about like getting knocked around by a wave mm -hmm. or, yeah, you just don't, I don't want to be that guy. So again, a very target rich thought bubble with all kinds of things in it. And then just be a little bit more measured about what you would say. Not because you're trying to like read the room. It's just, we were talking about this, it's uh, 1 Peter 3.15. It's like, always be ready to make a defense for the hope that's within you. So I know a lot of people where faith is 
are really, really important to them. They're ready to be Jesus's lawyer, but the problem is he doesn't need one and they're not good enough. (laughs) (laughs) But then he continues on. They stop there and it says, but do it with kindness and respect. And there's just something, you'll just get so much further caring about somebody. And this isn't going light on doctrine, it's going big on Jesus. That's great. Let's do another question. All right, this one is from Ross E. Sometimes it feels like keeping my politics private is doing a disservice to the people it affects because I'm not advocating for positions that would help them. How can I express my political views without pushing people away? First of all, I'm really glad that you're thinking about that. I'm just like that is a guy who's reading the room. But like when we love people with an agenda, it's not love anymore. It's a program. And we don't need a program. Like, we've got all the programs we need. So, Ross, I would just affirm and encourage you, that smell test that you have, to just say, I think there's a time to just be quiet. There's other times to speak out, to say, no, we're trying this case. Yeah. How do you figure that out? Like, for you, when's the moment where I say, yeah, now I've got to use my voice? And when's the moment where you say, no, now's the time to be quiet? I don't think there's a litmus test that I'd go through, but I would check my motives. Yeah. Is this because Bob is just tremendously insecure? Is this because I want people's applause because if you want applause join the circus but if you want like jesus find the poor Mm. find people that are hurting and then love them with no agenda whatsoever as best you can Uh, paul describes what happens to me every day he said i keep doing what i don't want to do in romans 10 and i don't do what i do want to do and that's tuesday wednesday thursday friday and then there's the weekend (laughs) has there ever been a time in your life where you didn't want to speak out but you felt like no this yeah like i I need to say something but i would do it with hopefully with kindness and respect Mm. i would just say like i would be a dissenting view but you could make people feel good. It's not blowing sunshine at them. It's just being respectful. I, I know you're a really educated person. My assumption is that you're smarter than me on this, that you have more experience on it. You've spent more time focusing on it. And there might be other things I know a little bit more about, but this isn't one of them. And that's just such a humble way to ask a question. It's the taking somebody's deposition or somebody's taking my clients. I always tell them, I want your palms to be up hmm. in your lap. Like the whole time, don't do it on the table because you freak everybody out. (laughs) So in your lap, and I literally tell them, if I look down and your palms are not up underneath the table in your lap, I'm kicking you in the shins. This is not a metaphor. It's going to go down. It's a battery. So (laughs) because the position of your body and the position of your heart somehow are connected. I don't know why. I don't need to know why. But here, do this practice. Do this. Clench your fists. Mm -hmm. I could get mad at a grapefruit. You're like, I hate the world. Old people, they're sour, they're whatever. But if it's palms up, you pick the thing. I'd be like, we're good. <laughs> and I know it's not like zenning out, it's being strategic. And if we could be that strategic in the way that we love people on the hot button issue of the day, mm. we could just take an interest in them. And one thing that's been helpful for me, perhaps you guys do the same, is whatever the topic is, have somebody come to mind who would be the subject matter of the topic. So you pick the topic, and that person will come to mind, and it's like they're with me, and we're talking. To kind of personalize. Yeah, I want to be really respectful. I want to be in the room. How would I speak? Yeah, I I wouldn't want to have them get my conversation later and feel wounded. And I think there's a way to speak truth and kindness at the same time. They said Jesus came filled with grace and truth, and I know it's a hundred percent of both, but grace came first. So your wife wrote a book, 
and I read it. Oh, yeah, Sweet Maria Goff. She wrote a book called Love yeah. Lives Here. Yeah, I couldn't remember the name. Yeah, Sorry. that was it. But first of all, she's a great writer. She is. She's like the wise owl, and I'm like, I started her. thinking maybe she was writing your books for <laughs> yeah, you or something. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> I mean, what I do is I just take writer? all the smart things she says and <laughs> oh. then write them down without attribution. Yeah. So anyway, at the end of the book, the very end, she asks your three kids, and I don't know how long ago this book was published, but at that point she asked them if they wanted to say anything. Yeah. And so the youngest one, Adam, I think. Yeah, that was it. Smart. Uh, says in there that what he wanted to say, I mean, he had several things, but one of the things he said that I thought is appropriate to bring up is that around your table or in your house, you always had diverse kinds of people. And so there was a sense in which he was raised to see people as friends, not enemies, to build bridges and to see that no matter who you are, no matter what your background, no matter where you're from, no matter what your beliefs, no matter what nationality you are, race you are, God loves you and you've got something to contribute. We've got something to learn from you. Was that something you were intentional in your family about doing or was that just something that you kind of stumbled into and Adam kind of walked away with you know, the prize of learning it. No, I think the uh, everything we've learned has been like really from the kids. I'm sure you guys know this story, but it was right after 9-11, we wrote to every world leader on earth. They wrote from Lindsay Rich and Adam wrote them a letter and said, would you like to come over for a sleepover? <laughs> and if you can't come over for a sleepover, can we come over to your house and ask you, what are you hoping for? We got a post office box because we didn't want Ahmadinejad to know where we live. <laughs> and then sent these out to every country, every president, prime minister, dictator. We got 29 yeses. And so we pulled the kids out of school and went. Uh, we got the cheapest airfare that British Airlines, every time they open up a new route, uh -huh. they do like $50 tickets. Yeah. We're like, yes. It was like pork belly futures. <laughs> and so the, we just went and visited them. So I'm sure that shaped a lot yeah. of Adam's worldview because these are people that had different faith experiences and expressions. They had different cultural experiences, different ethnicities. Well, it's probably good for parents of younger kids to kind of take that philosophy and maybe they can't go to 29 different countries. What if to you visit go to them. your county seat? But you could do something yeah. and uh, so that your kids look back. I was really impressed that, that he said that. Of all the things he could have said in this book, that was his thing is I grew up around different kind of people who believe different things. And I thought I want that to be true of my kids. I want that to be true of every Christian kid that's growing up. Out we there. have kind of a neat tradition too that's easy to replicate when people come over to our table when dinner over, we have them get out the pen, we have a bunch of Sharpies, and everybody signs underneath the table. And we will have people... Big uh, table. Yeah, big table, <laughs> but like really close signatures. Okay. And so what we do is we just have been doing that for the longest time. We have people who would not be sitting at a table together. We have people that would not be allowed to be sitting at a table at the same time. We just have them sign at different times. And there's something beautiful about that, like that idea. I want to see a picture yeah, of that. Yeah, it's Acts 2, and then again in 4, it said that uh, they broke bread and they had things in common. Mm -hmm. And so I said, like, this is a place we've broken some bread. So there'll be people that have some pretty spicy backgrounds that would not be in the same room with somebody else, yet they see each other's signatures, and there's something beautiful about that. Has anybody ever resisted, refused? No. Mm -hmm. No, because it's if you create a safe place, then people know, like I think this is a safe place. Yeah, you can create safe places for people listening. You know that's why Starbucks is there for somebody to buy you coffee, and make a safe place. Mm -hmm. And so I'd love for people in our faith communities to create safe places 
where they could show genuine interest in other people and ask them, hey, what's number one? What's the most important thing to you? And might be whatever the big issue of the day is or the news topic. But I say, what's the number three thing? Like, well, what's that third thing? Oftentimes people are saying, like, what's your name? Where do you mm -hmm. live? Who do you I just want to go a little bit deeper. I don't want to just, like, snorkel in the top two feet of the relationship. <laughs> you go scuba diving? Yeah, let's go, like, shipwreck diving. Like, that's where the good stuff is. And you need to create the safety. If you and I are going down, I need to let you know this is a safe place. Yeah. We're going to go instead of yanking you down there. A couple weeks ago in church service, we took some of the money from this book because Patrick and I don't make any money from the book. It all goes into the ministry. And we took some of the money and we bought gift cards, $5 gift cards to a local coffee house. And we asked everybody who was at service that morning to take out someone different than them. It could be a different race, different economic background, different political background, different generation, whatever. And we had some conversation starters. And we just said, take them to coffee, get a drink and sit and visit with them. It's not a time to lecture. It's a time to learn. You don't have to tell them everything about you, but you just get to ask questions, get to know people. And it's been pretty cool to hear some of the stories of people taking the initiative. I mean, we had a couple people who said, I don't know anybody different than me. And I was like, well, <laughs> let the spirit convict you. Yeah, there's something <laughs> neat about that because there's the world is full of difficult people because I'm one of them. Yeah. And so if we can just, instead of going for the low-hanging fruit, like somebody super nice, like find somebody that is a little prickly and don't make them a project, but just in engage them or somebody who's screwing up like we're such a up and to the right society Successful. i just what if we said i want to find people that are just screwing up oh art the mailman he's been our mailman for 20 years and he just stinks at it he's just not a detail guy <laughs> i hope art how, isn't listening to this yeah but how is one a, a poor mailman yeah so delivering he, to wrong places yeah, he okay. delivers all the mail to everybody but as a result <laughs> like all the neighbors meet in the middle of the street <laughs> and we all get to know <laughs> there was one guy's getting audited i'm like dude stinks to be you so <laughs> so art was like after 20 long years of bad service he told me i'm retiring i'm like thank you jesus and so we have this parade on our block because we think this idea of loving your neighbor isn't a metaphor for something else we actually think god meant to love your neighbor you got all these people want to go to the end of the earth but they don't go to the end of the street so we said art will you be the grand marshal and we got a convertible volkswagen i put a thousand envelopes in the back. I said, Art, just do what you do every day. Just like <laughs> just randomly throw throw them out the window. 800 people showed up who'd been getting bad mail service from Art <laughs> for two decades. And he was so moved by this outpouring of love that didn't have to do with his competence or capability. They just loved Art because they just wanted to honor him, even mm. though he sucked at his job. He was so moved. The next day he called me up. He said, Bob, I'm coming out of retirement. <laughs> like, no. He stayed on mailman for another five years. And then when he said I'm retired, I'm like, bye. <laughs> no more parties for you. But here's the deal. Like if it was all about competency and efficiency and up and to the right, art by all measures would be my enemy because he was none of that. But because we somehow as a community said, we're going to have a different way of doing things. We have a different economy going here. And it wasn't one that I organized. I didn't say, here are the four things you need to get right about art. It was just, it happened. It was an outflowing of love and appreciation and respect. And I want, if I could do the Jedi move over all people in faith communities, I would just say, be nice. Mm -hmm. Just get a puppy. Like, just chill out. And that, again, isn't saying these social issues aren't important. It's yeah. just that there are other things.
as well. Okay, so I'm sure people have responded to that with this, and I've gotten this many times on the internet. I usually don't respond, but they'll say, yeah, I like being nice, but Jesus wasn't nice. Jesus yeah, flipped over tables. Yeah, flipped over a table. I Jesus, want to be like, Jesus called the, the same fa- verse all yeah. the time. Yeah. Well, it's that one as you know, he called Herod a fox, and he called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. I mean, yeah. Jesus wasn't nice. Why are you yeah. telling me to be nice? So what well, do this, you say to that? I, is, I need a good line in response. This is your this big is opportunity. Personal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things, uh, when people get anxious, I'm, a person's coming to mind right now that got, was on edge about something. They were just kind of in my face about it. And I put my hand on their shoulder and said, I'm insecure too. <laughs> <laughs> so what I'm trying to do, a really practical thing to do, if you've got a fast tongue like I do, then to slow it down a little bit is get some skin in the game, raise the stakes a little bit. I decided a while back I was going to charge myself $500 for every critical or crossword I spoke. Hmm. 500 bucks per word. And so I can either say what just popped through my thought bubble or I can go to Maui. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm about to say it, I'm like, nah, I'm going to Maui. (laughs) (laughs) I remember having to write a big check. Oh, and it was to a... uh, outfit that I wasn't keen on. Like, so there can't be, like, you can't give it to your favorite charity. You'd have to give it to who you wouldn't actually Mm. give to. So it needs to be more painful. Like it needs to address some of the unresolved things. And they were mad if they say, God doesn't like these people or these people or these people. And I was trying to just get home to have dinner with sweet Maria. And I tried to step around them and they blocked my path. And I don't know what body part I called them, but I nailed the anatomy, but I just missed the spirit of Jesus in it. And that cost me 1500 bucks. And I think there's something, <laughs> if we could just get a little bit more skin in the game, then we can just pull it back a little bit and to say, these are people that we might be spending eternity with. And I haven't read it anywhere in the scriptures. I wouldn't be surprised if Jesus made us roommates. <laughs> okay, I'm going to dive in and ask another question here. This is from Audrey. She okay. said, I really want to love everybody always, taking the name off one of your books. Yeah. But I've been hurt and trampled on people that took advantage of my attempts to do that. It's hard to trust people now. How can I love everybody always when I've been hurt over and over again? Yeah. First of all, Audrey, that's real life stuff. And, uh, and I hope uh, that what God has given you is a community of people that you can be authentic and real, sometimes even counselors, all that. But what happens when you get hurt is that you make a rule. You say the rule is, let's say, I'll never love again. Did you ever have like, you know, heartbreak in high school and just I'll never love again? What a stupid rule to make. But then you start building scaffolding around that by saying, what I'm going to do is I'm not going to go deep in relationships because I might get hurt. And so now we have this rule that's driving our life and we like lose out on the opportunity. So what I want to do is find safe people. And Audrey, I'm trusting you have some, and I'm always on the look out for more safe people in my life. So find safe people in your life that can just walk beside you. You'll know you found one because they won't tell you what to do. They'll remind you who you are. You're a strong woman of God with huge potential. So that isn't one of these just like this cotton candy, like, well, just love everybody things. But at the same time, there's a wisdom to guarding your heart. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart. A lot of people put their heart in a vault after they've been burned and they flip the dial. They don't even know the combination. And I don't think that's guarding your heart. I think that's withdrawing your heart. And I don't want to do that.
my guess is, Bob, that some people, when they read your books, they think, well, you've got this perfect life. You know, you obviously were successful in your career and you've got this great family and you get to do all these cool things and you got this great life. But I read your wife's book and at the end of the book, she talks about some pretty hard things that she had to process as an adult, things that she went, had to go back in her past and kind of explore and unpack. And so you know what Audrey's talking about. I mean, you know it because the people you love and care about have been through a lot of things where they've been hurt. And so when your family kind of went through that, when you and your wife went through that, are there any things that you could pass on to us that you would say, hey, when you've gotten hurt, here's a couple things to keep in mind about how to get through that or how to come out at a better place? Yeah, here's the backdrop. And uh, sweet Maria Goff's given me permission to share this, but we had a uh, home that we built out in the bush in Canada for 20 years. And then somebody was supposed to come up and put some stain on it. And they took the oily rags, they put them all together. They spontaneously combusted. It burnt down in 20 minutes, along with 32 peace agreements we had signed at this place, along with the table signed by everybody, everything that mattered. And so what we had done is we have some friends that do some counseling and we just headed over there because I was bummed, but Maria was filleted about this. And finding good counselors that will ask questions. I remember the counselor asking Maria, what was the hardest part about the lodge burning down? And she said, it was the only place on earth that I felt safe. And we were not talking about geography. We were talking about a guy who did something horrific to her. We've been married for 35 years, one month, and two days. This happened 39 years ago, 40 years ago, and she'd never mentioned it. So she'd been carrying this hurt around for all that. And I told her, man, if it took the lodge burning down to get real with that stuff, I would have let the match. And I think God will burn down whatever he needs to get us real. What I want to do is do it in this environment where you have people that are good at trauma. Rather than having it amateur night and get Billy to help you work it through, let's go find somebody who actually knows what they're talking about and get the counseling, the wisdom that you need. Not somebody who's just going to whip out a bunch of Bible verses, but they'll say like, wow, that must have really, really hurt. And then to say, what's the blowback for the people around you? How does that make you feel. So, Audrey, I want to commend you in asking the difficult questions. Yeah, I respected Maria putting that in her book because it's easy to think, man, this stuff's personal and to not share it because she didn't have any obligation to share that. But I think even reading it to me, I thought, man, if you have a deep hurt like that, get a counselor, go to someone wise, you know, maybe a small group leader, a pastor, a trained therapist, and process that and be honest about it. I really respected your wife. What for is sharing that it. connected to? Tell me if you'd agree with this proposition that we're either a reflection of or reaction to the people who've been closest to us. Mm. I hang out in the South for a lot. I start saying y'all. Mm. And a total of <laughs> nobody says y'all in San Diego. We say dude a lot, yeah, but dude. not y'all. <laughs> But I'm a reflection of that. But I'm also a reaction. So if I grew up in a family that wasn't very good at expressing feelings, mm-hmm. like if I'm a reaction to that, guys that are a reaction to that write books called Love Does, right? Mm-hmm. If it was very like risk averse growing up, if you're a reaction to that, then you're like, let's go. So what we want to do is be a beautiful reaction, not reacting with militants. So if you've been wounded, then somebody presses that button, a telltale sign that there's something there is if you have a disproportionate reaction to what happened. So I 
say something, it would be no big deal, but you're like, you're mine. <laughs> you're going, oh my gosh, it's a nickel offense and you want to met out $10 of punishment. So I'd keep that in the thought bubble, find somebody safe and say, I wonder why mm -hmm. that really push my button. So your or, reflection or reaction? Yeah. I well, like that. So give me an example for you. What's well, a re, what are you a reflection thing, of or reaction to? So I unfortunately have too many examples, but here's one. I'll tell you one, but first set it up with this, is that when I do premarital counseling, which is not my favorite thing to do, but what I do is I ask people, I say, if you ended up having your parents' marriage 10 years from now, how would you think about that? And they don't quite know where I'm going. You know, some very rarely anymore do both people say, oh, I'd love that. You know, it's usually it's, well, okay, or oh, please, God, no, right? Uh, but the reason I'm asking it is because exactly what you said is they've been shaped more than they realize by it. And that doesn't mean they're trapped by it, but they've been shaped by it. And so I remember when Christine and I, my wife, we've been married 32 years, but I don't know the months and days, sorry. When we were first married, she got mad at me. We lived in this tiny little duplex. She stomped out of the room and took like two steps, slammed the door. I thought, what are we doing? And I realized that that's how conflict was handled in her house. Well, it was like a week later and she was bothered by something. She's more animated than me. And I said to her, I said, if you want to talk about this as an adult, I'm happy to. But as long as you talk about this as a child, I'm not going to do it anymore. Ooh, that was really, I did that once. That's a mistake. But I had learned from my mom, so this is kind of a reaction reflection, is to have a sharp tongue, right? And to be able to use my tongue to put people in place, or at least that's what I thought I was doing. I was just being a jerk is really what I was doing. And so I didn't ever say, hey, I'm going to wake up and be a jerk to my wife today. But it was just kind of a response, a natural response based on what I'd seen. So I was probably reflecting and reacting all in negative ways there. And then there's been positive ones too, but... And it's good to, like, when you catch yourself, you say, oh, I wonder what that's connected oh, to. Oh, I, I wonder... knew what it was connected yeah. to. <laughs> I want to wed together two ideas. As a trial lawyer, you pick juries. And if you don't like the way juror number four looked at you, or they're, like, shaking their head already, mm -hmm. <laughs> no, <laughs> then you'd say, I'd like to thank and excuse juror number four. You don't have to say why. Mm -hmm. You just say, I'd like to thank and excuse juror number four. Now, what I want to do is thank all the people in our lives, maybe people in your life, Audrey, or others have asked questions. When I have done weddings, I always have a three by five card, and it's stapled like inside the Bible, so it didn't go away. And it says, tell everybody to sit down. <laughs> <laughs> because there's that moment, yeah. everybody rises, the mm -hmm. bride comes down there, and then you, somebody says who this, right. who that, uh, and then you got to tell them to sit down, because if you miss that off-ramp, there's not another one for a really <laughs> long time. And everybody in there is hoping, don't miss the off-ramp, don't miss the off-ramp. <laughs> we don't want to stand. Yeah. So what I've tried to do uh, as a beautiful kind of personal exercise is tell people, it could be your mother, it could be a sibling, it could be a whatever, but to just have them rise from their seat and to say, hey, I want to thank you for being my mom. And I know how challenging that must have been. Little Bobby Goff had no eyebrows most of the time. They burned off in the last explosion. But I know that was a handful, and I know this was your first time, and I think you tried, but I didn't get what I needed. And so now I need you to sit down because I need to see some other things in my life. So I want to thank you, and then I need you to sit down. And so I think sometimes that's just a really practical way in your mind's eye to thank somebody for what you learned about friendship, what you learned about relationship, what you learned about intimacy. And then if they're looming large, thank them and then have them sit down. And that's a really beautiful exercise. Mm. All right, let's hit another question. This one is from Emily. 
How has Sweet Maria handled all of your adventures for Jesus? In your book, Dream Big, you talk about almost dying of malaria, and the doctor was telling her that you had a one in three chance of surviving. That must have been terrifying for her. How have you kept your marriage strong? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all. What we do is a really practical thing, Emily. If you were uh, watching on Zoom, I wear a mood ring. So I got this thing on Etsy for like five bucks, like a decade ago. So we don't talk about where I am. Like, so she doesn't know I'm in Missouri right now. She dropped me off at the airport, but we stopped talking about where I am 20 years ago. We talk about how I am. So I've called her three or four times today and she'll say, what color is your ring? And I'll say, well, it's kind of turquoise color. And she's like, well, what does that mean? And so if we talk about how I am, it makes us feel close. If we talk about where I am, it makes us feel really far apart. And so this whole thing with malaria, I just thought, you know, you don't need to take the malaria meds, you know, when you go to Uganda. And I think I'd gone maybe almost 50 times. You're a smart guy. What made you not think that you want to be... I don't know. I just had it in my mind that, like, I just wasn't, like... You're immune. Yeah. So I got malaria. I didn't realize because I think I went to seven cities on the way back wow. uh, in the U.S. Uh, and I got to the last one. I was in Michigan, and I remember calling Maria. She's like, what color is your ring? I'm like, black. <laughs> like, I am, something is up. And so I ended up in the ICU for a week or two. Wow. And the awesome part, I lost 30 pounds. <laughs> Did you gain it back? <laughs> yeah, part of it. Yeah. But here's the deal. Like, if what we do is we find ways to communicate how we are with some authenticity, instead of having a caricature of who we are. Because if I'm the caricature is Bob the happy guy, Bob, everything's going great, Bob, don't ruffle any feathers. But underneath that veneer, if there's all this unresolved stuff, to have somebody that you can just talk to it. And so I think that's what we found with Maria. We just talk about how I am often, and more importantly, we talk about how is she. So instead of saying, somebody might ask you guys, like, how's your life working for you? And if somebody asked me, that'd be like, great. But a better question to ask is, sweet Maria, how is my life working for you? (laughs) 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 Ask your children, how is my life working for you? And she would say, I love you like I love to breathe. And your life is not working for me right now. I love that question. How are you versus maybe what are you doing? Like for you, it's where you are. But for people who live in the same town, work, you know, they're together all the time, it'd be a far more interesting conversation and probably a conversation that would unite a husband and wife to say, how are you doing and how are you feeling? And what's it feel like to be you? As opposed to what did you do today? Or just the list of things. No, maybe those bleed over and one leads to the other. That's fine. But I like that idea of trying to get to the heart where you feel more united, even if you're not together all the time. Yeah. It's great advice. A crazy part at like that idea of just being with each other, even Jesus' prayer, John 17, the prayers that it would be one. Now, when we got married, she thought we were going to become her. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think so. But we're trying to be one, and we've operated for the last, gosh, 25 or 30 years with me bouncing around a lot, and then she's very much the center of the family. She's the core of this thing. So we just talk a lot. Yeah. This is a good question, and I get it all the time. So here we go. It's from John. He said, you once wrote, the way we treat people we disagree with most is a report card on what we've learned about love. So now he's asking, based on that quote, how can I love someone who believes and promotes things that I believe are genuinely harmful and unloving to others? 
I get this all the time. Like there are bad people out there and you want me to love them, but they're doing all these bad things. So how do you answer that? I don't know. Try the case. You know, in the extreme, you could say, so really happy, nice guy here. And then, you know, death penalty. Also then to not say, well, I've done my part, but to say, no, 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 this is beginners. That's the end. And now get to know the community of people that came from. So I think you can both be engaged and just and not being everybody's girl. I don't think we need more people telling each other what to do. You know, that whole idea in elementary school, did they tell you, keep your eyes on your own paper? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just think there's something really beautiful. Know why you believe that. Now, when you say harmful, that sends off all the warning flags for me. So I get a lot of calls from people that might have some self-harm or something. I say, well, let's patch in 911 right now. So you have somebody to talk to because I'm a pretty good lawyer, but I'm not pretty good at this. Right. So let's go with some. You know, I have this thing that I've done and wouldn't want people to abuse us, but at about 1045 in the morning, I just stop what I'm doing because if somebody had called in the middle of the night, if it's a middle of the night call, they're usually like really wasted or they're really desperate. And so if we have a conversation, I'll say, what if you give me a call back at 1045 tomorrow? And that's really been great because most people just need to have spoken to somebody. They need to get a little rest, have a little bit more clarity, and have something they're looking forward to. I don't have the credentials to turn things around, but about availability to people, instead of saying I'm the hall monitor of your conduct, I just want to be that guy because Earth is going to do that. Haven't you noticed? Like, everybody's going to be up in arms about whatever it is. I'm just so glad that I'm just not going to be distracted by that. That's fantastic. All right. Let's get another question in. I'm getting ready to take my daughter on a, th- sorry, my daughter on a 13-year-old trip. Oh, she's turning. I was like, yeah. a 13-year-long trip? That's Good a trip. gosh. That yeah. is a trip. That's Come called on. moving. Pack um, extra socks. <laughs> this is from Randy, by the way. Yeah. This is from Randy. Sorry, Randy. On a 13-year-old trip, because COVID thwarted her 10-year-old trip, inspired by you, Bob, any wisdom on how to make the very most of it? That's a great question. Oh, I love that. You know what I would do is just geocache some stuff. So, Randy, bring <laughs> a bunch of mason jars and then geocache stuff. When my daughter was getting born, like, so we're in the labor and delivery room. We already knew what flavor she was going to be. And I wrote her a letter. And Maria is saying some particularly vile things about me because I was a participant in her circumstance. <laughs> I wrote a letter. I said, Dear Lindsay, I forgive you for wrecking my car. <laughs> Love dad. I put it in a mason jar and I buried it. Randy, 16 years later, she wrecked my car. <laughs> and instead of saying the thing, the snarky thing that came to mind, like the brakes on the left, instead I gave her a shovel and a map and I told her where to dig. And she brought this mason jar back. She took the top off of it and she said, Dad, you forgave me before I was born. And I was just like, that would be wedding together our faith and some whimsy. And so I would do those whimsical things. We've continued geocaching. So if I'm in Afghanistan or Somalia. So what's geocaching? Oh, yeah, yeah. We're going to dig a hole. (laughs) I'll I'll dig a hole before I leave here. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. So you just dig a hole and you hide something. And then do you tell people how to, like, coordinates? Yeah, yeah. So attached to the back of my will are all the latitudes and longitudes of everything I geocached around the world. This is crazy. And, and I don't tell them what to do. I tell them who they are. So when I go missing, like capital M, then they're just going to have this adventure. And here's the thing they don't know. 
And it's your family. This is your yeah, family. Yeah, it's for my family. So what I would do, Randy, is take your daughter and just geocache stuff. This is crazy. Right? Like so that just go I, around bury yeah. messages or whatever. Yeah, leave some evidence. Mementos. Have her, I, and you know, if you, you could write messages idea. saying, like, I'm going to pay for all of your student loans. And if you change your mind, just don't tell them where it is. <laughs> 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 but there's that memorable part that, oh, it brings that thing and it's forward looking about who your daughter's going to grow up to be. And those conversations that you might have with a locket with your picture, Randy, and whoever else is important in her life. And to say that I will never leave you. I remember I was going to say wakeboarding, but it was more like fishing. I was just kind of dragging behind the boat. But it was time for me to stop dragging behind the boat because it had been an hour and no success. And so some big hulky guy that was like good at that, he got on the back of the boat and reached down, and I reached up. And what he did is he grabbed me wrist to wrist. Uh And he said, Bob, this is how God's got you. And he said, like, I wanted to shake hands with him, like, pull me out. And he said, like, wrist to wrist. And that moment, Randy, was like, I'm 64. I still remember that moment. Like, that's how God's got you. You could let go. He's not. And so the more it'll feel like planned spontaneity, the more you can bake that into the trip, I think you'll love it. She will remember it. That's fantastic. Okay, so Dan asks, if you could say anything to the church about how to lovingly engage in politics, what would you say? I would just say, if it's your thing. Like, I wouldn't do it because God needs you. I think this, uh, Galatians 5, 6, that the only thing that counts is your faith expressed in love. And if you want to express your love in the political realm, awesome, go do it. But the only thing that counts is faith expressed in love. And so I would find, Dan, the way that God has uniquely wired you from the factory to express your love. And so some people, it will be feeding their neighbors. You're one loaf of bread away from doing some pretty awesome stuff, biblical stuff. But if that leans you towards saying, we really need to take a stand on this, I would do that. And I do it with a ton of humility and a ton of resolve. I would have not militants, but resolve would be like, what would be going on? That's great. Well, Bob, we're coming to the end of our time right now. Thank you. That this flew has by. Been thanks fantastic. so much for hanging out. I felt like I learned a lot. And thanks for you guys for your questions. Those They're are great. great questions. Yeah. Great questions. So to anybody who's listening to this on the Zoom, thank you so much again. I cannot thank you enough. Keith and I didn't think anybody would buy this book. So the fact that at least a handful of people oh, can pre-ordered I, can it. Can I just jump in here for yeah. a second? It's a lot of work to write a book. <laughs> and if you want to do a solid, this isn't an economic thing. If you want these guys to write more books, pre-order the book, get it pre-ordered, because then the numbers, all the metrics will be right so that Amazon will stock a bunch of them. And then their next book, they'll have this look at. And so it's isn't just a plug as like a marketing thing, like kicking knives, but to just say this encourages authors to keep authing. I know that's not a word. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a book underway right now? Always. Always. Oh, yeah, yeah. What's the next one? Yeah, I think what it's going to be about is being adjacent. Like, so I would say, yeah, just the idea, we're just going to look at the idea of adjacency. Most of the people that I write books to, while I'm a Bible verse guy, like my version of every book totally has like page and verse on everything in case Jesus comes to check my work. (laughs) But I pull them out because I'm writing it for the guy that's church adjacent. He works at the tire store. He's not mad at the church. He's just totally indifferent. Mm. But I want him to know that he's welcome. 
that idea, not just invited, because I've gotten invited places I wasn't welcome, but I just wanted to say like, no, you're welcome here. Get in here. So this one's already been turned into the publisher or you're still Yeah, I'm working on the next show. Oh, yeah, yeah. So just write, 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 write. So I assemble books. I don't write them. I think you guys are smart guys. You write books. I just assemble them. I take all my like unrelated ideas and I say what ideas are, wait for it, adjacent. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a jigsaw puzzle. I just put that together. Yeah. So then I put those ideas. Sometimes there are two ideas that conflict with each other. They Mm. seem to. But great comedy and great everything thing is about misdirection yeah we thought we were going here and then wow yeah and that's what jesus right smartest theologian ever and he points to two sheep and he's like when one of those gets away and people are like i hate that when that happens (laughs) yeah that would be people that were adjacent to the christ like god here among us and he's using really relatable examples of that so that's how i spend my time just trying to find those stories in my life well, we're already looking forward to it. Wow, get that next book written. Start going, <laughs> and you guys do your part right here. <laughs> well, thanks, Bob. We super appreciate it. Thanks to Maria for letting you come, even though she doesn't know where you yes. are. <laughs> Mom's the word. <laughs> Tell her we love her book, too. Oh, I will. That'll Absolutely. mean a lot to her. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for listening. If you found this podcast helpful, make sure to subscribe and leave a review. And make sure it's at least five stars. Stop. No, just be honest. Reviews help other people find us. (laughs) Okay, okay. At the very least, you can share today's episode. Maybe put it on your social, your favorite text chain. And if you didn't like this episode, awesome. Tell us why you disagree on Twitter, at truthovertribe underscore. We might even share your thoughts in an upcoming newsletter.